Welcome to Beyond Bitcoin, a podcast about all things digital assets, the global communities they are creating, the generations that are using and investing in them, and the challenges faced by the nations that are seeking to regulate them. The content of this program is not to be taken as investment advice. The opinions expressed in the program by the host and the guests are their personal opinions only. Remember, feel free to subscribe and share with like-minded friends. My name is Derek Graham. I'm the CEO of Portal Asset Management, and my co-host is Nitin Gower, Managing Director of State Street Digital Assets. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever you are in the world, and welcome along to another episode of Beyond Bitcoin. My name is Derek Graham, and of course, as usual, I'm here with my great friend and colleague, Nitin Gower. Hello, Nitin. Hey, Derek. Glad to be here. Another exciting week. You know, lots of what we spoke about last week has been playing out just a week later. This is how fast this community works. And you might recall, we, we really had this sort of robust discussion around how do you stop crypto? How do you stop decentralized finance, decentralized platforms, distributed ledger technology? How do you stop it? And our statement, because the US appears to be trying to do this, and our statement at the time was it was like damming water with sand. And this week has seen <laughs> that happening. So let's just go through a couple of the things that have happened over the last week, or at least shown to be happen. That's just indicating that, you know, you want to stop blockchain, you want to stop distributed ledger technologies in the confined boundaries of the United States of America, then good luck. So, so it's interesting that after the collapse of FTX in November, you know, the sentiment started to turn against centralized exchanges, just because of the concern relating to regulations would be my guess, but also, of course, the concern relating to having centralized control. So the users are tending to flock towards self-custody solutions and decentralized exchanges. And as you were saying earlier on, it's intriguing to see that this sentiment, which is really after, you know, and is part of the choke point 2.0 that we've been talking about along the way and the SEC becoming what appears to be a legal front flank attack on all things crypto in the USA. This sentiment has seen, you know, decentralized exchange users hit 1 million users. And according to data from DeFi Llama, Uniswap's now crossed over 70 billion yeah. trades, dollars of trades in the month of March. Now, for those outside Australia, I just apologize here, but to put this in perspective, $70 billion of trade on Uniswap, one decentralized exchange. Yeah. The Australian Securities Exchange, which is a top 20 stock exchange is, in yeah. the world, turns over about $120 billion a year. And they're capitalized at about $3 trillion and they're 82% of all equities and trading products in Australia. So 82% of all the products in Australia, one major siloed exchange is turning over, you know, what, 50 billion more than one Uniswap decentralized exchange. That just goes to show you how much trade is occurring on these Nitten. Yeah, and it's a staggering number. Of course, there's other competitive elements that you have more exchanges as opposed to just a few decentralized exchanges, but it's concentrated across a few DEXs, as you mentioned. No, Derek, I think it's 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 telling what's transpired in the last two months. And I think I have a few observations love to in, in mm. preparation for this conversation, Derek. A few observations that I think, which is leading to these crazy volumes, as you described. 
So if I may, a few observations that I went, first was geopolitical. And I looked into the globe and looked into what's happening around the world in primarily crypto space, right? So of course you have the US versus China, it's always this thing where China bans and US provides clarity, whether it was energy or mining or crypto. And suddenly now US is, you know, as we have seen with choke point 2.0 was OCP, Operation Choke Point 2.0, different terms that's emerging in this space. You begin to see a bit more friendlier sort of attitude from, from Hong Kong, which is a proxy of sort of China's experiment with crypto as, as it's been debated. So I look at geopolitical and US versus China, all the things, including the Restrict Act, we've seen this hilarious TikTok conversation that happened. And then eventually, if you last week, Indonesia had a conference in an ASEAN summit where all the Southeast Asian countries came and they had a proposal to use local currency as opposed to trade in the US. You had the formation of BRICS, which is the Brazil, Russia, India, China, and, and South Africa now has joined that effort to be able to bypass SWIFT post Russia asset freeze and trade commodities in their own sort of currencies and have some mechanism. So you begin to see all these things happening around the world, right? You also look into the counter forces that US has gone through in terms of regulatory forces and OC operation choke point 2.0, where overall overhaul of the US banking system and the resistance, not just against crypto, but the sweeping changes at an attitude towards the entire industry. And we've seen that just in one week alone, the larger crypto-friendly banks were shut down, even though it is not exactly crypto's fault. Uh, you begin to see some of that stuff. And, and, and it's a concerted effort, as we have seen from the College of Regulators, which is the alphabet soup of SEC, CFTC, FDIC, OCC, the whole gamut of, of regulars coming together. And, and again, we've seen the enforcement action. While I would I would side on, you know, or on the side of, of many of the regulations that came were were valid in some cases. And then you look into, as a result, the Gemini, the Circle, the Coinbase, and many iconic American crypto firms are moving overseas. They all have, you know, not hidden the intentions of opening. In fact, as we have seen earlier, Coinbase is exploring to be able to move exchange in different parts of the world. Circle has opened the headquarters in Europe, in France, and Singapore, and they're trying to attract talent and capital. Yes. I'll say one more thing, as you mentioned, the simple movement of smart capital, the example that you cited, Derek, the decentralized exchange and Bitcoin-focused custodial wallets, for instance, the trading volume and Coinbase has come in below that of a centralized exchange. And this is not just ASIC versus an Australian exchange, which is an institution, versus Uniswap, which is a decentralized exchange, but this is a crypto exchange, which is Coinbase. Even that came under Uniswap for the second month in a row. And all this is attributable to, of course, the smart capital flight to safety, both in terms of saying that I do want to be able to move capital that I can trust and I have complete control over. So in other words, if I were to summarize these sort of observations, Derek, the tumultuous sequence of, of events may actually accelerate the adoption of crypto around the world. And here's why. I think the world and the citizens around it find their own avenues to deal with the geopolitical conflicts, the hyperinflationary elements, debasement of currency as we begin to see, and generally are unable to find a safe avenue to store wealth. So we oftentimes talk about store of value, essentially is the ability for me to be able to store wealth so I can use it later and has the same value mechanism. So it doesn't devalue, which is the entire premise of the retirement funds that we all have around the world maintained. and 
a global currency or economic phenomenon is taking shape. And that is, again, not just Bitcoin, but Bitcoin-led innovation that we've been talking about. And I'll say one more thing, which I read, which was, which reminded me of the conversation me and you had on this show with, with Kristen Ragason. Zimbabwe, get this, which was known for his famous trillion dollar, and actually I visited the country to understand this phenomenon, went to places to shop things just to be able to cross, cross Livingston from Zambia into Zimbabwe. And people are buying those trillion-dollar bills, which is more of a souvenir value than yes. the actual value of it. Notorious for his hyperinflationary trillion-dollar notes, has now switched to producer credits. So when you go to a store and buy for things, and you're using any of the currency except the trillion-dollar bills that Zimbabwe has, and they move to a bond notes, which essentially was one dollar for dollar parity, which never went anywhere. Now the shopkeeper will give you a producer credit. It's their own credit sort of thing that this is valued back when you come back to the store. So you see how over time it's gone back to a more of a barter system where every mm. producer has his own credit system. And I think there can there should be a better system after so many evolutionary years. What's the point if you were to go back to exchanging a bushel of corn with, with a flock of sheep? So I'll pause yeah. here and I'd love to get your thoughts if if some of these resonates with your observation as well, because we don't want to make sense of all this as it's as That's it's right. happening in real time. It's it's extraordinary that what is likely to be a backlash is getting caused by a single major country that has so much that it could gain from this technology, but it's frightened about it. It's frightened the impact it's going to have on the banking system and the infrastructure of the banking system, which is no We've talked about numbers before, somewhere around $120 trillion of value in banking and finance there. Yeah. And it's frightened about the fact that it may lose control of its global reserve, which really the issue of its currency, the constant increasing of the debt ceiling, all works because the US dollar is the global reserve. So what happens when it's not? And so it seems to me that the, the, that the turning away from this technology is the antithesis of what the US should be doing. It should be moving Agreed. towards this technology, working out how it can produce, you know, open and safe and democratized central business, sorry, central bank digital currencies. In other words, a US version, not a China version that people feel comfortable about transacting on. You know, it should be looking at how to provide, you know, early stage startups, how to provide the, the, the lower and middle class with the ability to transact in a currency that's not constantly reducing the value of their assets through inflationary degradation. You know, it should be looking at how to become smart. Where does artificial intelligence, Web 3.0 and cryptocurrencies all come together? No, it's not doing any of that. It's yeah. turning around and wanting to ban all of that, which is crypto. And let's just try and Let's just try and bully our way through maintaining the US dollar as the sovereign currency. We can see how well that's doing because all around the world now, you know, countries are turning around and saying, well, we don't need to use the US dollar as a trading platform. And it won't be too far away that there, I think they'll be looking at using various digital assets as, as trading currencies. You know, often in the US, they look at things in a binary manner. Either the US controls this, or China controls this. Yeah. Well, not necessarily. Many of the countries that are in the BRICS aren't necessarily going to want to be aligning with a with a Chinese central bank digital currency for various reasons. True. But they can 
transact on other digital currency platforms and and see things occur. I, I think Cynthia Lumos, who, who's who's nicknamed the Crypto Queen, and she's 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 a senator that's based in Wyoming. She's trying to get some legislation passed, but she says quite prophetically that the failure of the US State Congress to enact policy is pushing the industry to other countries. She said, Europe is ahead of us in terms of its regulation framework, which we know. Australia and the UK are getting ahead of us. Switzerland is far ahead of us. So firstly, I'd like to acknowledge that she mentioned the country Australia in that statement. It's not often we're mentioned. And 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 also, true. you know, it's it's extraordinary when you see the likes of the CEO of Ripple, which is, you know, Brad Garlinghouse, who's turned around and he's, he's told Bloomberg that they're already starting to move outside the US. The largest, you know, US-based centralized, you know, crypto exchange is is considering launching overseas also, which is of course is Coinbase. And and one of the big crypto lawyers who really interfaces with a great deal of the crypto group says 100% it's happening. He says it's absolutely true people are leaving. And this is Jason Gottenberg. Um, he's a crypto focused lawyer, partner of Morrison Cohen. And he turns around and says that founders are sort of 20 something and in their early 30s. And they're some of the brightest young entrepreneurs. And he said, they're able to move. So he said, they're going to the Caymans, they're going to Portugal, they're going to Singapore, and we sure as hell know they're going to Dubai. Water through sand, Nitin, water through sand. It is. And, and, and the worst thing is, I think, you know, the CEO of Coinbase, you know, did talk about this in the terms that the politician understand, a million jobs. He, he anticipated a million jobs. And I actually saw that tweet that he did to say, hey, you know, you're actually stymieing not just the technical innovation, but a million jobs that that could be kept in the US as mm. many of these find flights outside instead of attracting talent. And what's also interesting is that, you know, we looked into this and saying, is this just a phenomenon where at the backs of all the failures we've seen in 2022 and the Cooper and Kirk, which was the original law firm that challenged the choke point 1.0. And they actually, this is a formal term that was given during Obama era. They dissected that whole element and say, "Hey, what is the constitution? You know, what's the constitutional? You know, blah. what's the constitutional element of them to impose this? Because these are not exactly legal businesses. So, where's the legal framework for you to be able to 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 cut cut them off from banking? Because when you cut off a business from banking, it becomes incredibly hard for that particular business to do things like payroll, to make payments, and so on and so forth." Yes. So there was a little bit of dissection of that whole segment to say, what is the legality of the few of these things that are happening? And what's interesting that came out of this TikTok conversation, good and bad, is that, you know, there was a narrative which talked about the fact that as much as the the counter Chinese action that has been taken by the, you know, again, that's the only, you know, agenda that's agreed by both parties. It's it's Democrats and Republicans are on one single page when it comes to China. And it's the fact that the... The, it'll be incredibly hard for them to impose what they will because of a legal system. They can go to courts and courts can throw them down because the legal element of actually providing the claim of due process, providing the claim to make sure that your property rights are enforced is embedded into a constitution. So I think it'll be interesting to see how it unfolds. But I also think, which is something that Nick Carter brought up, is at the end of the day, it has to be by the people for the people. It has to come down to the electorals, the the ability for people, and that's Congress that is you know, that represents people, 
for them to be able to make a call on this. So it's it's just becoming so political, which doesn't have to be because it could be an innovation agenda. Yes. We could take, we could remove this hat, put a, put a, put on a different hat, and try to understand this. And with the questioning, as we were discussing earlier in this TikTok testimony that happened. <laughs> I have little hope from many of the lawmakers to leave alone understanding crypto if they could understand the basic Wi-Fi and how our devices work in the in that ecosystem. So I, I would just say that you don't ask for much except a reasonable approach towards the industry, I think. Yeah, so very much so. And that reasonable approach is occurring over in Europe, as we discussed, and also in Dubai, Singapore, Switzerland, etc. Yeah. Dubai is extraordinary because it actually invests and they have a, a policy to invest up to a billion US dollars a year. Now that's not allow the investment, that's cut a check for a billion US dollars a year. And what that's doing, of course, is it's attracting, it's attracting entrepreneurs, businesses, small startups, et cetera, and encouraging them to settle in Dubai. And of course, Dubai has an extraordinary and effective blockchain you know, implementation right throughout their government systems and their technology is impressive, well above ours. And so, so that's one area. But of course, in Europe, you know, you're seeing MICA, which of course is the markets in crypto assets, which is the regulation in Europe. They're, they're discussing you know, areas of, of anti-money laundering regulations or, and, and, and issues around civic liabilities, et cetera. And this is around personally held wallets, the ability to transact cryptocurrency with really no tracking, the Monroes of the world, et cetera. And you can understand there, certainly I can understand there, that there's a solid reason why they would be concerned about money that's getting moved around the place that they, they don't know, you know what its background is. Okay, but it's intriguing to see that, that they actually, that the, the representatives that work in this actually standing up and saying, we are absolutely not preventing cryptocurrency transactions. This is. Damien Cremet, a French lawmaker in the Green Party. And he's, he's saying it's just when identification is impossible, we're interested in doing this. Mm -hmm. This is a group that is looking at any money laundering problem, acknowledging there's an issue around this technology, but making the open statement that they're not trying to stop the use of cryptocurrencies in Europe, which really gives you some confidence that you'd want to be transacting there or doing business in Europe, as opposed to the US, which is doing quite the opposite along the way. I, I think that these countries around the world are actually looking at the US, looking at the macroeconomic situation with inflation likely to be pushed ahead by the release of you know, monies to underwrite small banks in the US and saying, we're actually really going to support this and we're really going to push for cryptocurrency. It's, it's, it's as if, you know, it's as if the elastic band has been stretched and is now pulling back. <laughs> yeah, but I'll tell you this though, Europe with GDPR with data and US still doesn't have a more comprehensive data regulation. It's known for actually exporting this regulation. And so now if you go to any site anywhere in the world, you have to accept cookies and you have to accept these terms, which no one even yes. reads because now we're accepting the whole thing. Yes. And what's good thing about, so here's the thing, right? If you, if you were to compare apples to apples, you're right. Wara in Dubai, MAS in Singapore, and the, the EU MICA regulation, which is, I think, what you're referring to here. If you look at the SEC, there's a statement that Gary Gensler made to say, hey, we don't need to regulate. There's enough regulation out there that can regulate crypto too. Now let's 
compare that statement with what Micah proposes. Micah says, let me first broadly classify. So they look into this token and look into this and saying there's something called ART, which is asset reference tokens, which is something like NFT, for example. And then you have electronic money tokens, which is payment instruments. And then they say, let's look at crypto asset that doesn't feed the definition of these things, that we have no existing law that covers whether it's payment instrument or whether it's securities or anything of value as an instrument. And let's go define regulations around it. So we have some clarity to say, if you're dealing with a EMT, for instance, the electronic money tokens, then we'll subject you to the existing money laws. If you're dealing with asset reference tokens, to your point, we'll deal them with things like art and other sort of assets in terms of property rights. And if you're dealing with crypto that we may not have any other sort of existing laws or references, then we'll treat them in this manner. And it clarifies the business that you're in. So mm -hmm. if you're in money business, you get appropriate licensing. If you're in a business that is not defined by any of this, then you have special licensing, maybe something like a safe harbor that lets you deal with it so we can give you some leniency, let you experiment with things because experiment mm -hmm. is a great thing. We achieve amazing things by failing hundred different times or looking at hundred different failures and learning from those. I think that is the difference, Derek. I think I, I think we should take an approach of encouraging, which is such an un-American statement because this country was built upon experimentation. Yes. We still call our legal system, our constitution, our democracy experiment, that whatever states and centers do, it's a big experiment that's happening and we continue to keep trying these things. So it's very un-American to say no more experiments because we have all that, all that needs to be figured out is figured out. And you, you need to adhere to a law that, as you put it, is almost 90 plus years old. That's That's yeah. ridiculous, I think. Very true. Nitin, December, November last year, you know, we at Portal Asset Management, Mark Witten, our CIO, was really looking at the impact of Chokepoint 2.0 with concern. And we were considering what hedging we might have in place to determine what the downside risk might be in this particular area. And we continued to look at what happened in, in, in through January and reading and doing analysis on it. And what it appears to be now is that really the future of this space has gone from being quite bleak and concerning to being a lot more positive and, and, a, and, a, and a lot more global than it was before. And we as a fund now, so to speak, leaning into the market. We're looking at putting more investment into the market than we were in November, December, when we were looking at potentially hedging it. Now, we're never giving investment advice out here. That's never what we're meant to do or intend to do. But it's interesting to note that the attitude towards this space now has become a lot more positive. People are actually saying, well, this is what crypto was created for. This is what Bitcoin was created for in January 2009, a banking crisis, which is clearly part of what is ongoing in the US. So do you see that that's really an outcome of this is a positive direction? There's an old saying, and, and that is the negative feedback from which to find a positive direction. Is that what we're seeing here? That's what Trump would say. I'm, I'm just kidding, of course. But, uh, <laughs> it's a lot, a lot of things happening in the in the US politics. It's never, again, the politics is just like crypto, never a dull moment, always something happening yes. in that, that element. So I, I think, as I mentioned earlier, I think all these observations that we're at, it can only accelerate the... So there are a few things that actually happen in the technology side, right, which we haven't talked about. So... Given the rise of Bitcoin and emergence of, of BTC ecosystem, a few things happened this week, which is which I will premise to answer your question, is 
some cracks begin to show, which we anticipated, if you recall back in the day, we've debated this on this show in terms of the post-merge Ethereum ecosystem, proof of stake, mm. the issue with centralization, the you know Ethereum MEV, which is minor extractable value or maximum extractable value, depending on who you are. And this week there was an attack only because now you have few validators and there were attacks where a few validators could actually, you know, this whole notion of censorship resistance. Suddenly those validators could actually change the ordering of transactions and extract value from it. And so there are a few incidents that happened that begin to show the cracks in that centralization theme as Ethereum approaches towards this sort of Shanghai upgrade, which allows you to be able to release these locked tokens that were there as a part of your beacon chain. Now that has led to, again, doubling down on Bitcoin ecosystem, given all the geopolitical issues that we were talking about and Bitcoin emergence of, for example, the Bitcoin ecosystem. And now that the NFT movement has already begun, we begin to talk about DeFi and the BTC ecosystem. So you can see as to how these things are suddenly now taking us a snowball effect to say, hey, what will, what is the true global currency of sorts? Barring the issues of market depth and there's not enough Bitcoin to pay for everything in the world and overall, you know, so on and so forth. And then you also have the Balaji effect, which we should table for a different conversation at some point. That the focus has been on two things, scalability and usability. Scalability, and you see a lot of innovation in zero-knowledge EVMs, both in the Ethereum ecosystem, but also in how do we optimize the Bitcoin as the challenge that we have seen with NFT is increasing the block sort of size to 4 MB, and that's being processed quite a bit, which has increased, in again, in terms of value, but also increased in terms of processing capability of Bitcoin ecosystem. So scalability and usability, a lot of innovation has happened post in the last, I would say, post-FTX on wallets is how do we make usable wallets? How do we make sure the wallets? So when you start looking at the movement of where this is heading, you're absolutely right. The world is saying this, all this innovation is happening, which not only gives us control, and now another data point of, of Uniswap exceeding even their own centralized exchanges and traditional finance, you know, financial exchanges. To me, there's a truth to what you said, Derek, that I think there's a realization that if not for anything else, we should not ignore this asset class, given the observation that we described today, that we have to have some stake in this game. We have to have some investment. So I believe that even people who are non-believers or who are skeptic, I think these events are converting them to start beginning to open into looking into these investments and, and using this not just as a utility, which is what many of us would like to see, but treating them as an investment instrument to hedge against some of the hyperinflationary and debasement conversations that we're having in this in this environment. So the managing director of Barclays Bank some time ago made that famous statement, and that was to not adopt crypto would be like staying with paper and refusing to use computers. <laughs> it's a very solid statement. What we have to be realistic about, as you've just said, is that the crypto industry is capped at about a trillion, trillion a bit dollars now. It's still very small. Volume of these payment gate like payment rails really needs to be tested and built so that large volume transactions can occur around the world. This is just the evolution of the industry. And I think now that we're seeing this, this extraordinary impact that the US is making being more like the impact of a comet in the ocean. And that is that there's a hole there now and it's starting to appear, but it's getting splashed all around the world. And that is what we think is going to happen with crypto. We're actually more positive about it now than we've been for many months in regards to the regulatory aspect. 
and in regards to the the hunger of organizations around the world to utilize it let's continue this conversation next week look for opportunities for our listeners that might happen out of these impact of regulations and 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 see what happens over the next seven days nitin <laughs> and if the fortune favors the informed that's the mantra that we follow that's exactly right truly does. fortune <laughs> favors the informed stay informed and there's opportunities all around love these weekly catch-ups look forward to seeing you again next week thank you everybody for listening and for those that want to share this please do so with like-minded friends and uh, for those that have suggestions and ideas about what they we might want to cover for them delighted to hear from you bye for now Thank you, Derek. Ciao. We hope you enjoyed our weekly conversation. If you have any questions, comments, or suggested topics, please contact Nitin Gower or myself on the emails displayed here or via our LinkedIn profiles. Feel free to subscribe and share with like-minded friends. Stay well, inquisitive, and engaged. See you next week.